You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 to 4, Moses Views the Promised Land. It's believed this final chapter was written by someone other than Moses, as he had likely already begun his ascent onto Mount Nebo, also called Mount Pisgah, where he would die, as God told him. Joshua is mentioned in connection with Moses to link the Pentateuch with the book of Joshua to follow. There is a cohesiveness to the books of the Bible. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. This panorama of the Promised Land is more than Moses would be able to view with natural eyesight, even though his eyes were not weak, even though he was 120 years old. God must have given him a special viewing. You can almost hear the pride in God's voice as he presents it before his servant. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over it. God has kept his oath. He has brought Israel out of Egypt in the fourth generation, as he promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. Yet God would not relent in his decision to not allow Moses to go into the land of Canaan. He can view it to know that God will bring his plan to completion. And while it may seem harsh that Moses can come this far and yet not enter, in that culture viewing a property was tantamount to possessing it. So Moses was laying claim to the land on behalf of the people. Verses 5-8 to eight, Moses' Death, Burial, and Mourning and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. So just as God had kept his word and brought the nation of Israel to the land of Canaan, so Moses died when and where God said he would. Because our bodies have value, since we are made in the image of God, the standard refrain you'll see in scripture is that someone died and was buried. Burial shows the most respect for the body. In this case, since no one was with him on the mountain, after Moses died, God himself buried him. It says he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. So while the general area of his grave is given, God ensured that no one would know where it was. Like Eden, when God hides a place, no amount of searching will discover its location. The reason was that because Moses was so revered and loved, there was the danger of idolatry. We'll see that it is quite likely later, since they took the bronze serpent on a pole uh, that Moses made, and during the time up to King Hezekiah, they named it and burned incense to it. Um, in 2 Kings 18.4 it says, He, Hezekiah, removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it, 
it was called Nehushtan. So Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. So since he was not ill, why did he die? He didn't die of natural causes, but as a result of his disobedience to God's clear command. This reminds us that Moses was not perfect in spite of his many advantages. And even though many of the other Israelites may have been worse sinners, it was because of his position of leadership that he was more accountable. Such failures of character often happen either early in life or later in life. We must never become complacent. He also died because God decided his work was done, and it was time for Joshua to lead from here on. When Pharaoh sought to kill all Hebrew baby boys, God had protected him. When Pharaoh sought to kill him as an adult, God protected him. Throughout his 40 years in Egypt and another 40 in Midian, and the final 40 years in the wilderness, God strengthened him for the task. There's the saying, we are immortal till our work is done. So now his work was done. When they realized Moses would not return from the mountain, like Aaron, we're told the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. So this was also the length of time they grieved for Aaron. So all three siblings, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, died in the order they were born. Aaron was three years older than Moses, and so they both died in the fortieth year of wilderness wandering. God had said that whole generation must die first, other than Joshua and Caleb, and those under the age of twenty at the time. Verse 9. Joshua takes Moses' place as leader. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was born in Egypt and was part of the Exodus generation. Yet he and Caleb would be the only people over the age of twenty when they were cursed to wander for forty years to also be part of the conquest generation. He was first introduced to Israel as a military commander in the battle with the Amalekites when Moses held up his arms. He was on the lower part of Mount Sinai waiting for Moses to come down with the law. Then he was called Moses' aid. He was called young because he had been his aid since he was a youth. But he must have been over twenty when he went to Canaan as a spy, since God had set him and Caleb apart from all others over the age of twenty who would die in the wilderness. Because Moses laid his hands on Joshua in an official public inauguration, everyone knew that he was the one who would succeed Moses. He was empowered with the spirit of wisdom to lead. He would need this wisdom to lead the Israelites militarily and to guide them spiritually. Verse 10, Eulogy Since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses is recognized as a unique figure in the history of the nation of Israel. There would be many other prophets along the way, like Elijah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, but none who would 
who had such an intimate face-to-face -face relationship with God. Exodus 33:11a says, "The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend." Yet in the same chapter we read, "But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can may see me and live. He is just too glorious." So we must ask why the contradiction? First, we know that God is a spirit and therefore doesn't have a literal face. He is only described that way as an anthropomorphism, a way of describing an infinite God in human terms, so we understand him. This face-to-face -face relationship Moses enjoyed with him simply meant they had a close relationship, and Moses heard his voice and could have a conversation with him. But it is true that to see God in his glory while we are in our sinful human flesh would be certain death. Even the seraphim cover their faces in God's presence. So there is no contradiction in this chapter, Exodus 33. So Moses' life is described not by his first 40 years in the palace of Egypt, nor by his 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, but only by his final 40 years as he confronted Pharaoh uh, and led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Moses serves as a contrast to Abraham, who died while in the Promised Land, but with honor and dignity. Moses dies as a pilgrim outside of the Promised Land, with shame and disgrace because of his failure. Moses was a humble man, in spite of his privileged upbringing and his position of leadership over this large company of over two million people. His main characteristic was faithfulness. This was in spite of having to lead an ungrateful and rebellious na nation. He had been told that the people would revert to idolatry, and he could have despaired. What purpose had these decades of suffering served? But he had not served for success, but for obedience. Therefore, the Bible commends his faithfulness, not his success. So th this chapter is a mix of sadness and hope. Sadness at the death of Moses and hope and anticipation as their new leader, Joshua, steps up to lead them into the final stage of their journey. The land flowing with milk and honey is within their grasp. Each portion of God's work is led by someone of his own choosing. We should see ourselves as players in God's plan of redemption. Like Queen Esther, it says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Moses had a long, full life, 120 years, and a fitting eulogy. But even the longest life must end and give way to eternity, as Moses himself said in Psalm 90, verses 9 and 10. All our days pass away under our, your wrath. We finish our years with a moan, our days may come to seventy years, or eighty, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Therefore we must be sure we are ready. Jesus said, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We must live now in light of eternity, and think about what our eulogy would be. Max Lucado wrote a book called Outlive Your Life with a quote, 
Live in such a way that the world will be glad you did. So neither Aaron, who represented the priesthood and works, and Moses, who represented the law, could enter the promised land. But Joshua is a representative of the Lord Jesus, a better high priest and a better lawgiver, who saves his people and will bring them into their spiritual rest from works and eternal rest in the promised land. Even the name Joshua, or Jesus in the New Testament, means Yahweh saves, Matthew 1.21. Matthew Henry says, It, the law, brings men into a wilderness of conviction, but not into the Canaan of rest and settled peace. Moses was not allowed into the promised land, but he viewed it. Then he would be taken to heaven, where he would see God's glory in its fullness. The earthly Canaan is only a picture of our heavenly promised land. Yet, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses would be in the promised land. So just as the law could not inherit the promises, so Moses was unable to inherit to enter the promised land. The Apostle Paul said, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the law can do nothing but point us to Christ, so that we may enter in by faith. Um, Galatians 3, 23-25 says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Like Moses, we may lead only to a certain point, and others will reap what we have sown, or we may reap where others have sown. Moses, as leader, was held to a higher standard, as all leaders are. The Israelites grieved when Moses died. It is not wrong to grieve our losses, but we must not grieve in the same way as those who have no hope of resurrection and reunion with their loved ones. Moses had a face-to-face -face relationship with God, indicating their close relationship, not that he literally saw God's face. But we will see his face. God said he knew Moses by name. Moses, as privileged as he was, could not see the face of God and live. The Apostle Paul describes God as one who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. And John Wesley said, If I cannot see thy face and live, then let me see thy face and die. So Jesus is the only one who has seen God and lived, because he is God's Son. In our humanity we are unworthy, weak and guilty, and could not bear such a sight. He is much too glorious. The only way we will one day see his face is because he will glorify our bodies. God talked with Moses and the Israelites face to face in the sense that they had a unique, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. We have an even closer relationship with him because his Holy Spirit dwells in us. Moses was allowed to glimpse the promised land. 
In this life, Scripture has given us a glimpse of what awaits us, the book of Revelation. But the half is not told us, and its greatness will exceed the report we heard, as the Queen of Sheba said of King Solomon. Therefore we can die with joy, knowing what awaits us. Moses died in peace, while Jesus suffered an excruciating execution. Since Moses, no other prophet has arisen like him. That was true when it was written, and up until Jesus, who was the prophet like Moses. Moses was great, but Jesus is greater. Hebrews 3.3 3 says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So just as there was a sense of incompleteness about Moses not being able to enter the promised land, so the whole Old Testament saints were completed when the New Testament believers and all who follow after were joined, as the book of Hebrews states in the chapter listing those in the Hall of Faith. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And this shows a continuity between the Old and New Testaments, with Jesus being the unifying factor. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for the summary of Deuteronomy and the life of Moses. May God bless the study of his word.